Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Citizen Reporter, a podcast where we speak with friends old and new around the world to learn about uh, how are we all doing in this world and uh, and what are we doing uh, that really uh, drives us, inspires us. And uh, today on the program, I have the pleasure of having all the way in Nepal uh, connected via all the wires that we have in this world. Uh, Kaustoff is here. Hi, Kaustoff. Hey, Mark, it's good to be here. Yeah, and, and I mean, you're in Nepal, Kostov. It's Is it still lockdown time? Yes, it's still lockdown, and um, it's been lockdown for a while. Um, and and um, if you've been following the news, uh, because we live very close to India, and uh, the COVID cases were on the rise, uh, but now it's slowly getting, it's slowly going under control. So hopefully, um, we hope that uh, the COVID crisis is is gonna, you know, decline to some extent, and uh, the lockdown is gonna open up. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the me- in the meantime, though, you know, when we you and I speak periodically every every week, uh, and you had said, you know, it's lockdown. It started probably two weeks ago, and uh, so you're sort of stuck in the house. And we had talked a little bit about work we've done in the past with sound and i thought well if you're stuck in a house let's let's record some sound let's talk yep 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 definitely <laughs> i mean utilizing what we have i think that's the best thing we could do for now yes yeah you know it's interesting and i wonder what experience you've had with both friends family maybe even professional contacts um so you know covid has been with us depending on where you are in the world, but but basically two years for, for I'd say, the globe, uh, or actually a year and a half, I should say. Um, I, I guess China earlier, but what's been interesting is uh, when COVID arrives, like in your country, and then measures are taken, um, many of them have been, you know, locked down or, or being, recommending that people stay home. And what I found, Kostov, is a lot of people will say, we're on lockdown, so, so colleagues in India, for example, um, I can't, I don't want to talk or I, I can't think of anything these days. Uh, so people are unable to, uh, really, I don't know, uh, 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 do things. There's, there's this stage that I think people go through the initial shock of what you can't do or the limitations and the situation also with, with people suffering. Um, and then I, I often wonder, but if you're home, and, it, it, you know, there's still things you could do. Of course, it depends on your home, the home situation. But how has it been for you, like, since the beginning? Do you feel uh, yourself like, I, I, I really can't do much. I need to do less these days. Or do you feel the opposite? Like, I can do so much. Um, well, I think for me, it's uh, it's been, like, uh, mixed. Um, sometimes um, sometimes it is frustrating, um, as, as, as you can imagine. 
um, not being able to work and and seeing the world suffer and looking at the news um, and seeing that so many people are losing their lives um, yes it, it definitely brings you down and um, um, and going out or you know even it's at this juncture it's even difficult to extend help um, because of the nature of the disease itself um, so yeah I've had this mixed kind of uh, feeling but at the same time um, I do talk to my friends over the internet or over the telephone and then um, um, this is the time to contemplate and things uh, about things that you've um, always wanted to do in life you know so um, for me, it's been a kind of mix because, uh, like you said, it's been one and a half years. So um, the initial few months, I was um, pretty hopeful that it's going to end soon. And uh, I had made plans um, after the lockdown was over, after the COVID crisis would be over, uh, things that I would want to do. I prepared a bucket list. Um, uh, I mean, <laughs> I started writing, which I had stopped for a while. So, yeah, in the beginning, um, we were all pretty positive uh, within our families and um, in, in Nepal because uh, the healthcare system is not excellent. It's not too good. Um, so we were more careful. So, um, yeah, the lockdown, everybody was uh, following the lockdown strictly and unnecessarily. Nobody would um, go out of the house. Um, and in the first wave of COVID, uh, we were pretty good. Not many um, cases of COVID. Um, and then um, after the lockdown extended, um, then things, you know, um, I mean, for me, I was fortunate enough because uh, I live with my family. I live in my father's house. But for people who need to work every day uh, for for providing food for their families, um, it, it wasn't easy for them. Um, we have a small community here where we live. Uh, we raised money and we also uh, funded a few. Um, uh, we have young people's club um, here in our area. So we funded them to support uh, for a weeks uh, because there are people who come to a place uh, for people who um, cannot afford food. Um, so these clubs, they've been providing food for these poor people. So we we got together and then we, we supported for a week and there there were other people who also supported so, yeah, we, we try to do as much as we can. But uh, like I said, it's sometimes you're very frustrated, but sometimes uh, you try and think uh, positive because uh, it's not going to stay here forever. It's going to change. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's been a mix for me, Mark. Yeah. You know, it's you're making me think about um, when you were younger, did you, I almost want to learn about the, the tradition in Nepal, at least in your community of community action of philanthropy as it's often called um did you see a lot of that growing up that because i wonder is that why now you also participate or how does that get started um well again i would say it's a it's a mix but i uh, one thing I, that i've seen in the recent uh, in the recent times is that um young people are are um are trying to go out and and you know extend help as much as they can. Um, when I grew up as as a youngster, uh, or may I say during my adolescence, you know uh, I didn't care much about uh, you know um, philanthropy work and uh, and stuff. You know I was I was 
you know, doing my own stuff, you know, being happy with my friends hanging around. Um, you know, the, uh, the only thing that, I mean, the only concern was, uh, you know, how to look cool and, you know, hanging out, out with friends, having fun, and, and in thinking about girls, talking about girls. Uh, and <laughs> so, yeah. So during my adolescence, um, uh, and because uh, it's generally you are with people like you, like-minded people. So um, I think my friends had the same mentality. But as I um, got into my 20s, um, then I started to realize that, um, you know, life is much more than just, you know, hanging around with friends. Um, so so um, and I started working uh, for a nonprofit. And I think because of that also, um, I started to develop this feeling of um, um, doing volunteerism. And then I joined the uh, Lions Club here. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I, but I guess that it's it's like that, Mark. For for um, for adolescents all over the world, the context might be different. But uh, for a teenager boy, for a teenager girl, you know, you're thinking about relationship. You're thinking about <laughs> maybe your career. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, those stuff like that. Yeah. And is it's, yeah, it's just interesting also how this stuff is always there, whether we use it or not, maybe we're not even involved, but it's in the background, either where you live or, or someone you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I once, I've not been to Nepal, not yet. We're going to get there. Uh, but, uh, but I do think about this one time I, I went to, um, I was in India and I went to Uti and I, I met a friend, a friend of a friend, essentially. All I know is the first thing that he said to me when we arrived is, let's go to a Rotary Club meeting. I, there's one today and I, I like to go. And I really had, n I know nothing about the Rotary Club, not really. And I went and what I saw was actually families. <laughs> it was like parents and uh, teenage kids. The parents obviously were doing all the talking. The kids were just kind of tagging along, but they were, they were all about schools and education and raising funds. And I... I soaked up so much in that moment and suddenly like for me a rotary club means a lot more but also like it brought up more questions like how long has this been going on and and how does this get passed on you know and, and it's this kind of stuff really fascinates me um yeah of course i mean um for me also like i said earlier um um during my adolescence i didn't care much about uh, volunteering didn't care much about uh, um all these you know uh, organizations that that work to help people but yeah i think i think the age is also a factor um when you're too young um you're if you've had a very difficult past maybe then uh, you have this realization otherwise if you've had a normal um uh, a normal bringing up then uh, i think it comes a little later um down in life after you've crossed your teens maybe when you start when you get into your 20s or maybe mid twenties, then you think of these things, um, and and uh, the, the fact that you mentioned um, when you see people around helping others, um, then you realize that you know there's there are people who are helping others, and and the kind of peace or the satisfaction that you get from it, I think it, it's it's something that is um, so wonderful. It's so you know. <laughs> Blissful. It might even be addicting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is what exactly I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, hey, wh- what do you gather, um, especially in the context of Nepal? Though I know you've you've uh, you, you've worked and you have so much uh, broader context, uh, but just focusing on Nepal, people say globally that youth nowadays, youth, uh, you know, what ages are we talking about? Let's say uh, anyone who's well, kids, maybe teenagers for sure. They say that they're more conscious, that they're more. They want a better world. Um, you know, sometimes we see examples of, of such children and, and move social movements. But what about in Nepal? Does that ring true? Are, is the younger generation, let's call them, uh, of today more socially conscious than, say, I don't know, than, than your generation was? Do you see evidence? Um, again, um, we'll have to... Um because every individual is different, right? We're talking about a whole range of um, youngsters. Uh, but uh, during my work, uh, when I got to travel to these remote areas or say the suburbs, uh, not particularly the urban areas, um, uh, the the young people there uh, seem to be more aware um, of their community, of, of what uh, they would want um, their community community to be like um, um, when you ask these people these children from rural areas what do you want to become when you grow up most uh, said that they want to they wanted to be teachers um, or they wanted to work um, for non-profit based projects because that is what they see uh, you know uh, in their communities um, so uh, but for um, youngsters in the urban areas, um, I think this feeling comes a bit late. For some, it might just never come. It might just be about themselves. Um, but uh, especially for um, for children who grew up in the rural and suburban areas, um, I mean, I, at least that is what my experience tells me, that they're more into these uh, volunteer works um, yeah. than, than, than children who grew up in, in urban or cities. Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes, you know, it's said that this is because of the point that the entire world really has arrived at this this sort of crisis, this if you think about climate, but also um, health and and that, you know, we we must take action. And and in some ways, maybe the the youth of today see it so starkly, uh, so so immediately and I don't know. Maybe I, I can speak for my childhood. Maybe we didn't quite see it, although although there was already a lot of talk about the the environment and what would happen to humans. Um, but yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if that's what triggers, uh, say, kids to be more concerned with the world uh, at a younger age, possibly. But like you say, it it really varies. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, um, during our generation, I'm 39 now, right? So I'm yeah. talking maybe 30 years before. Um, the issues that you mentioned of climate change, of global warming, um, these were talked about, but um, it, it was mostly theoretical. We could read it out in newspapers or um, in, in textbooks. But now it's seen, you know, the impacts of climate change. You can experience and see that firsthand. Um, Nepal is also among uh, one of the hardest hit countries because um, in so many um, parts of Nepal, in the uh, specifically in the rural areas, there have been droughts, and and because uh, there isn't enough water, uh, people have migrated to the whole the whole 
community had to migrate to somewhere else where they could find water and mm. the untimely rains, uh, which uh, bring out floods or landslides. Uh, it's been very alarming in, in the recent years. So um, the impact of climate change, you know, the, the industrialization, um, the population growth in such um, high numbers, uh, the impact and then the deforestation, the impact of all these um, these is, is seen. Um, I think hence the, the young people these days, they are more aware uh, because they have seen the consequences firsthand. Um, I can talk about my childhood, where I grew up. I've been living here all my life and uh, we used to play out in the fields. Um, there were lands which um, which which were fields where you could play but now everywhere it's just houses it's just hmm. concrete jungle so um, you know um, uh, the kids they have to stay indoors most of the time um, and rely on their maybe just their laptops or mobile phones so i think they do realize the need for green spaces um, and, and and you know being out in the fields playing so these kind of um, small things that that help in a um, brain development of children, of adolescents, um, there's this realization. Um, so, yeah, I think they're more aware because of all these factors. Yeah. Uh, quick break. Coming up, we'll talk sound because you and I love radio and sound. all these little uh, uh, sounds and, and bumper music courtesy of uh, my good friend at Sparrow Recording, uh, who I grew up with, uh, Nick. So I like to every now and then have them for these transitions. <laughs> I right, hope they're coming right. through for you. <laughs> yes, it, it, it is coming through. And it's it's pretty, it's nice to have a little break so that you can then, you know, think of something and then yeah, it's, think, a, yeah. it's a good piece of music. Also. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you so so Gustav, you you worked in radio for uh, how many years? Um, eight years. Eight years, yeah, yeah, and uh, so one thing to ask is um, your start in radio was it accidental, coincidental, or was that exactly what you wanted to be doing at that time? Um, to be honest, it was accidental. Um, mm. I was working for a television project that was designed for young people. Um, it was it was a UNICEF funded project that was targeted to young people. So the it was it was like a television series um, for a year. Um, so it had all the you know different youth issues being raised and then addressed, um, and then the project um, was then after the completion of the project, um, I was I didn't have a job I was just staying home and then um, I got this news from a friend that uh, there's this radio project um, which was looking for a young producer, um, and and the project was very similar to it was both UNICEF funded project but it was very similar to what I had done in the past, so I thought maybe I could try radio as well. So um, I mean it wasn't exactly um, a childhood dream of you know being a radio producer or working for the radio, but then uh, I thought about it. And I I thought that uh, it would be good if I could yeah also work for the radio. So that is how I got involved. I applied for the position and then yeah I was selected. And so the, the radio program, oh, what was it called? 
it was called Sathi Sangha Mankar Kura, which would translates to English, which translates to English as uh, chatting with my best friend. Uh, so yeah. it was a youth. It was a by the youth for the youth uh, program. Yeah. Yeah, and so people would uh, simply tune in uh, because there was a specific uh, channel on on an actual radio. And I say that because nowadays I think more and more youth don't ever touch a, a real radio, but it was on radio, yeah. Yes, it was on radio. Yeah. And what was the experience like? Because you know, I'm thinking of all the people that could be listening these days, <laughs> that uh, especially younger, that everything is um, uh, it's either a podcast or it's streaming. Um, and even if it were on the radio, maybe they're in a car, um, and it's just this source of music, but your, your program was not a, a, from what I understand, a passive experience for a listener. I mean, how did, how did listeners get involved or, or how did they become part of the radio program? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting story. I, at least for me, so I hope people who are listening to us would find it interesting, um, so um, it started um, in 2000, the radio program, but it was based on a lot of research uh, done during the mid and late uh, 1999, during the late 90s. Um, it, it, um, the project actually started um, to raise awareness on HIV and AIDS. Um, and the, the thing that the organization discovered was... Um, uh, there was a lot of um, money put in to raise awareness on HIV and AIDS, but the rate of infection was not declining. So they wanted to know why. Um, so basically what was found was there was a lot of media campaign which suggested the mode of transmission of HIV and AIDS. Uh, say, for instance, you know, you could get it, you could get infected if you use um, somebody's blood, which was not checked for HIV or from a pregnant mother to um to a newborn child, to her child. And then you could get uh, HIV and AIDS if you uh, get involved in unprotected sex. But the, it was just the tip of the iceberg because, um, for instance, a young adolescent who is so frustrated um, with uh, his or her family or with his society um, going into depression was so likely to get into drug addiction and and he or she could you know easily um, have access to injecting uh, drugs, and then at that time would she or he um, think that I could get HIV infected? So I'm not. I mean, it doesn't work like that, right? Um, for somebody who um, say, for instance, uh, finds a girl in a bar, uh, and then they decide that they they would go somewhere and you know um, make out. Um, is a condom easily available in their locality? Maybe during the night, maybe it's not. So it wasn't just the information uh, that would keep them safe. It was um, the knowledge that they have. Could, are they able to uh, bring that into practice was the question. So um, WHO and UNICEF uh, designed a whole new package of life skills to impart uh, to these young people so that they are able to practice their knowledge and then, you know, uh, uh, use skills to to practice that and, and bring it into practice. So, yeah, that is how it started. And um, back in the days, um, <laughs> most, most um, because uh, there were no mobile phones back then when it started, 
there were very few radio stations. Um, the main radio station that people would tune into was the national radio station, which is called Radio Nepal. Um, and and um, the other thing was um, uh, because uh, we live in a society that is, um, in a way, very traditional. We have a lot of do's and don'ts and things like um, topics like uh, talking about um, sexual health, talking about uh, menstruation or masturbation uh, or about a girl-boy relationship was always taboo. Um, so, so, um, so the program um, raised these kind of issues, and within a very short span of time, it was so popular among um, the young public that that the program just had to be extended again and again and again, and it went on for years uh, because uh, there was no internet, so source of information was not there, and because um, um, because it was presented to them by young producers, they could relate to it. Uh, because most of the time, you know, young people would not like their um, teachers or their parents talking to them they, because they're, uh, they're mostly preachy. The method that they would explain to a younger uh, person is, is mostly telling them what to do and what not to do. But then um, the program uh, was presented in such a way, uh, like I said, the name itself, was called uh, chatting with my best friend. So it was mm -hmm. a young person talk, talking to another young pe person, um, so they could relate to it, you know. And and the topic itself was so interesting that later in the years, um, um, these young people, especially in the rural areas, uh, they got together, uh, they formed clubs, which they called the radio listeners club, because uh, <laughs> they couldn't sit down home with their uh, mother and father and listen to. Um, a program that talk of, talk, talked about menstruation uh, or masturbation because, like I said, it's taboo. Uh, so they, they would go out uh, to the field, maybe sit down under a tree uh, or find some space uh, within their school premises and then, you know, yeah. come together and listen to the program and then um, <laughs> discuss after, after, the program was, uh, after the program ended what was discussed and what they liked. So, yeah. so voluntarily... Uh, slowly, after a few years of radio programming, uh, there were over 1,000 clubs, listeners' club, which mm. were voluntarily formed. So yeah. it, it was just—it's just—it just—it was just amazing. Uh, yeah. How did? Yeah, that's the power also of you know finding fellow listeners. You know, like oh, I, I want to talk to other people who also like this program. Right. I I was impressed also because you had told me about how you know people would either. Uh, I mean, right, mobile phones, not, not much of an option at the time, but they were writing to you, uh, and including in, in physical letters, right? Right, right. They would send us yeah. letters, and uh, every month there were over uh, 2,000 letters, and these were genuine letters um, sent yeah. into the program. Uh, and when I first started, you know, I thought I would, I would be a radio presenter and you know, doing a yeah. show like, hello and welcome, this is Kostov. But then I was made <laughs> to... Read through those letters because um, the topic dealt in the program were itself so sensitive um, that, um, and then I had to go through a rigorous uh, training uh, to understand these issues and how to address them. Um, so yeah, and, and in the initial days, uh, all these letters sent in by the radio listeners um, had to be read and um, uh, it had to be categorized according to um for instance, uh, there's a letter which says, you know, I'm um, not good in studies and I, I'm really worried what, I mean, 
if I would succeed in the future, um, or say, for instance, um, uh, somebody wants to become a pilot but does not know what to pursue, um, which which because we have science, commerce, arts, um, different streams. So you know, not knowing of what what or where to go. Uh, so these kind of career counseling uh, issues would come up, um, relationship issues would come up. So we had to be trained and uh, sometimes, um, not sometimes, most of the times, we had to consult uh, an expert because we were not expert ourselves. So we need to, so it was a mix of you know, learning about young people's issues, but at, at the same time also uh, learning the radio skills because um, there's a certain method um, uh, that you have to follow if you are uh, dealing with these issues um, using the radio. So yeah, the technicalities and and the content itself, uh, it was quite challenging. And you know, I used to find it really boring reading through those letters all day <laughs> for so many months. But right. later on, I realized that it was such a uh, big opportunity for me as a learning experience. Um, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm thankful to the program because it wasn't just a job for me, Mark. It was, mm. um, yeah, it was, uh, I was growing as I was working uh, in the radio. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, again, that that element of, you know, what you get out of it uh, when we, we, we were talking about helping people as being almost addicting, you get something out of it here. Again, this, this you, as you say, you were growing and, uh, and I would say, you know, you're providing a, a public service and this is a term that, still exists but is i think less and less associated with a lot of media um that you're you're creating media to help people or to reach people or to give them a forum public service yeah oh it's great to hear about it though yeah and also getting paid at the same time you know <laughs> sure so, and why not you yeah. know it's 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 a value right of course you can't always put a monetary value on these things but it you can help someone to to live you can help Gustav to have a home and have food and and do this great work i think yeah absolutely get paid uh yeah i i, I really uh when i picture the radio program it, it gives me a great uh, great feeling and it reminds me uh for me growing up in new york and we had community radio and m most people didn't know about it but those who did got a lot out of it and and learned a lot and, and there was a community uh behind it uh coming up uh, another quick few seconds and then we will uh, sort of a little bit of a conclusion but also a question about present day you know connecting those those eight years of radio with you today uh, that's coming straight ahead
So, uh, as we approach a sort of uh, as a type of conclusion for now, because uh, as far as I'm concerned, Kostov, we can have many of these conversations, and I think listeners out there will enjoy them. Uh, but connecting now, you know, your your time doing this community radio project, uh, which I would call public service, where you were, as you said, learning and growing as a person. Connect it now with the last few years, um, your your work. Uh, especially when it comes to reaching out to younger people, community. Um, how did it all lead or how did it prepare you and inspire you even to do what you're doing now? And, and by all means, you know, talk about what you're you're doing now when it comes to uh, engaging uh, people who, who may be in need or, or simply who, yeah, long for community and, and discussion and, and helping the world or helping your community. Um, in the recent days, I'm mostly doing something that I've always wanted to do, which is um, uh, making videos. So I'm mostly doing video documentaries um, uh, and, and stuff. Um, but um, for me, um, the radio experience, um, like you said, um, it, it helped me grow as a person. Um, I would want to share with you an example um, of, of Nepal. Um, there was this, um, UN, UN, I think it was UNESCO-funded project, uh, which was called the CMC, the Community Multimedia um, Center. So they had this, um, so they had this um, center uh, in a place called Madan Pohara in in uh, the district of Palpa. Um, and in Nepal, we have this system of um, caste where somebody comes from a higher caste is is um, allowed to go to school. They are the learned ones. Um, and then the other castes are the people who do business and all. And there's people from um, scheduled caste or disadvantaged caste or the so-called lower caste who are not allowed to the, the homes of these people um, who are called untouchables because um, if it's believed that if they would touch water, then people would get sick. So, you know, so this had been going on for generations. And and um, the Community Multimedia Center um, brought in these um, young people from the uh, lower caste um, community, and they were taught um, skills of um, camera, skills of camera editing, visual editing. And they were also a part of the Madan Pohara radio um, uh, radio presenters and radio producers so in a f within a few years of time these um, young people who were supposed to be from the so-called lower caste uh, lower tires of the society were household names because they were talking over the radio and if there was any function within the communities um, say if there was a marriage then um, uh, these young people would be called for doing the video work, you know, to to to, to cover the event. And if there was a, um, an event happening, there would be a radio producer coming up and doing interviews and covering the event and making a you know uh, a radio documentary or a radio um, radio bite, you know. So so um, it not just helped them, but the community to to mix up with these. Um, other so-called um, caste because um, there was a there was a disparity and segregation, um, but it helped in 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 that way. So um, I believe if 
um, you or me or if anybody uh, is able to help another person, even a single person, and make a change and bring a positive change in the other person's life, I think that is the most satisfying experience that one can get. Um, so, yeah, like I said, over the years, I meet a lot of, um, uh, they're not so young anymore, but when I meet my listeners, uh, I see them doing good at what they do. And they tell us, oh, you're a coaster from uh, chatting <laughs> with my best friend. I used to listen to your program and it was a part of my growing up and I learned so much. I mean, that gives you that sense of satisfaction. And, and I think that is what um, um, uh, giving or, or doing voluntary work is all about. Um, it may not pay you um, in the monetary terms, but the mm. satisfaction that you get, the gratitude from people, is it's just so so wonderful it's so amazing yeah and and in in the process over the years uh from what i understand and, and i'd like to hear about it Kostov, you you have a uh a group i would say a group of friends uh that you actually together do uh, uh projects with i'm thinking here also of darjuvai but it's um tell me about the this group because they sound special <laughs> yes um darjuvai uh, was a concept that started after um after i did radio and there were other friends who were also working with young people. So we thought that uh, uh, we actually wanted to start um, um, a group in Facebook. Um, the page, uh, we started a page especially uh, targeting to young boys and men um, because, um, because um, in the recent uh, days, we got a lot of complaint regarding um, sexual assault uh, towards the female um, there is this uh, big rape case that had big propag propaganda in Nepal. A lot of protests uh, against that rape, and 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 um, you know, and and at some point it was like uh, you know the female standing against men, um, which was not it should not have been the case. You know, it it it's it's against the rapist. It's not a gender thing. So we thought that it would be good if we could step in and and. Um, bring in boys uh, who could then join in in the feminist uh, movement in Nepal. So we started off with a Facebook page, but then later we realized that uh, uh, there were also people who were saying that this is something really, really needed. And uh, I mean, it can't just be a Facebook page. It, it has to be a movement. So we registered an organization two years ago, which uh, we called it Hamida Jubai. Uh, Nepali brothers. Um, so it's basically bringing um, young adolescents and young men together um, to support um, females, to support women who have um, who have been discriminated against, and 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 also um, there are also men who have had who have had to face uh, sexual assault or violence. Um, so yeah, so it, this is a movement. Of bringing young boys and men together um, to end uh, gender-based violence and 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 you know um, and, and to encourage gender equality. So yeah, that is how we started, and and um, we've been fortunate uh, to to get some funding because we are a very new organization. But uh, uh, big organizations uh, have have called us in their uh, programs, and they want us to participate, and they also. Uh, want us to make a pledge that we'll work together and, and you know create uh, a better society for everyone. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really wonderful. And you know, it's it when I heard about it and when, and then when we talked, uh I you know, it's always about me at some point and I was thinking I remember so often even as a kid uh being told what boys do or how boys should act. Um and it was all these uh clichés, you know, of being tough, of being aggressive and i remember I, I i mean any adult can say this but i really remember thinking like but i don't feel like that and i'm still a boy and i why do we have to be you know this this image that was being promoted at that time why do i have to be so tough uh and so forth and i i when i when i heard about you know dajuvai i thought yeah this is also about you know this the role that we're expected to play or rather fighting these sort of stereotypes, making, making a change, you know, telling, telling boys, in fact, well, first of all, um, you know, equality, gender equality is, uh, something that requires all of us to do our part. Uh, uh, and, and second of all, like, uh, these old images need to go, these old stereotypes of, of the role of a woman, the role of a man, uh, they really need updating. And I'm, I'm excited to hear when, there is space being made and it's and it's becoming accepted and people are fighting so that it, it does get accepted that um you know there are all kinds of men and there are all kinds of women and there and, and we can work together yeah exactly i mean the you know the gender roles that is expected out of the society from you um it's it's in especially in out of the in our part of the world um mm. that gender uh, stereotyping is is um, it would probably take some time before it it goes away. Uh, yeah, it's, it, and, and it's not easy to convince um, the older generation, um, but I hope that the younger generation at least would would yeah come out of that and see the human side of um, every every person, regardless of the gender. Even even the gender minorities um, have now started to come out. Um, and and um, we also Hamida Jubai also works with uh, friends from um, sexual and gender minorities um, because um, because now the female voices are slowly coming up and 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 if we now um, not address the issues of people from sexual and gender minorities again there will need um, uh, projects to to bring their voices up again so. Uh, we're trying to, you know, um, because we also work with um, uh, sexual and gender minority people. And within our group, within Hamidajuai, um, we have a few uh, friends who are from the sexual and gender minority community. Um, and and uh, recently we had a, uh, it was a closed session because um, um, most uh, participating in the event were not comfortable sharing their identities. Uh, but we discussed about the issues of the sexual and gender minority um, and and um, it's been over a decade that the issues of sexual and gender minority have come up, but still the question is still people coming up to them and asking, you know, what exactly is gay? Um, mm. What is uh, transgender? Can you? Ex I mean, sure. it has it has to go beyond that, you know. Um, yes. But still, yeah. I mean, um, it, it's still the basics that people have yet to understand. Or yet to be sensitive mm. about. Um, yeah. So yeah, 
Uh, it's interesting, like you, you'll catch many people who are very advanced, let's say, in these discussions and are, have been in them for a long time. But as you said, like there are still people who it's still new. It's still there are still very basic questions that have to be covered first. Um, so, yeah, people are at a different levels, you know, or, or different levels of awakening, I would say, or, or awareness, understanding. Hmm. Right. Well, it's it's really great to hear about the the work and and also, you know, you can hear Gustav when you talk about it that I don't know if you always look at it this way, but I start to see it as a sort of I see your learning process and your how the past connects with the present and it's um you just keep going, you know, you just keep getting better at at well, as a human, I think. Yeah, exactly. And um like I said, um uh, different societies um, have different agendas, and they would uh, react differently to to something that you present to them. Um, but uh, here in Nepal, um, we've had um, yes, there will be controversies, and there will be people who would not like our ideas. Uh, but uh, we've gained a lot of support, and um, um, many people have been supporting of have been very supportive of our ideas, and and um, uh, we've been encouraged in many, many platforms. Um, so we really believe that um, it might take a little while, but we will be able to uh, bring about some positive change and, and you know, change the mindset of people because it's the constant, um, you know, in behavior change communication, it's said that uh, it's like when you're trying to break a rock, you hit it with a hammer, it doesn't break. But if you keep on hitting it continuously, then at some point in time, it's going to break. So yeah, changing the mindset is not easy. But then um, we who work in radios will talk about radio issues. Um, if you are writing, if you are a writer, if you are a columnist, you can. If you are a vlogger, you you do your thing. You raise awareness through your blogs. Um, if you are a teacher, you raise awareness um, through your students from your school. Um, if you are a doctor, you talk to your doctor's community or nurses or the patients. So I think it's it's about, you know, um, you don't have to go out in the street and start to protest or march, but, you know, do whatever you can, um, wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Kostov, thank you so much for taking the time today and sharing a bit about not only your past, but also your present. And, uh, and I also hope that this lockdown period uh, continues to be one where you can actually, despite all the difficult circumstances going on outside, find some internal peace and creativity, I, I find, or, you know, time to do all those things that you, you've wanted to do, the bucket list, all of it. <laughs> I see some positive going on here amongst all the negative. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. And um, it, it, it's, it was so good to talk to you and to be... Um, back talking to 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 you and and the listeners so yeah thank you for having me
The nice thing about podcasting is I'm still here and I wanted to share with you a little bit behind the curtain. It was raining so much in Nepal on this day when I recorded this podcast. I had to filter out the sounds of rain because it overtook everything. But I wanted you to experience the rain at Kaustov's house in Nepal. I leave you with the sound. See you next time.